What's going on, everyone? This is the first episode of Road to Ruin. You might ask yourself, what the hell is Road to Ruin? I thought that I subscribed to you, everything went black. Well, the answer to that question lies in whether or not you've actually been listening to Metal Matters, yet another podcast, part of the Gimme Metal uh, platform. And you'll notice that me and Randy Larson have been doing shows together for over two years. Can you believe it's been over two years? Yeah. Actually, it goes back a little earlier if you count our stuff previous. Right. Yes, exactly. To Metal Matters. Yep. And kind of as a demo to what we ended up doing on Metal Matters, we had a couple episodes we did on this podcast where we would uh, you know, bring up topics related to music and you know, talk about that, dig into some obscure stuff. And then on Metal Matters, we would pick certain records because we only had 60 minutes really to talk about stuff on that uh, platform. So we would limit it to one classic record. And um, that's how Randy and I started our podcasting career. So now uh, I've left uh, Metal Matters and it's been taken over by, uh, by Fred Pissarro and Mike Berdan. And um, now we're kicking off the new chapter of Everything Went Black. Randy and I are going to be getting together once a month to do these Road to Ruin episodes. And they won't be limited only to metal or extreme music. We're going to talk about pretty much any, any record, any kind of um, you know, musical scene or uh, you know, possible record label related stuff. Like it's back, you know, back in the old days, you were sort of like uh, you know, you you would be into like a label's output. So we might talk about AMREP or Touch and Go or you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, or we might just have subjects about certain artists that we really like, and um, and that's what the show is going to be comprised of. But today, today. Episode one, we're going to go all the way back to the murky past and uh, talk about how Randy and I met and uh, how long we've known each other and uh, just talk about the ins and outs of everything and why we're calling this thing Road to Ruin because I think the name, even though it's the name of Ramon's album, which is a great album, I feel like both of us agree that our pursuit into this uh, circuitous path of trying to make music can be perceived as a road to ruin in some ways. <laughs> Maybe even more so for me than you. Um, you've seen it garnered a little more success out of this. That, that's a very slippery term, right? <laughs> due to uh, due to uh, you know hard work on your part and uh, me kind of hitching my wagon maybe to some people who didn't want to work as hard. Uh, but I'll also you know shoulder yeah. some of that blame. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, success is like. Did it do you know get getting to make music that you like? Yeah, but like you know, I, I still have various jobs I do, and you know, I'm not. Uh, I mean, it's successful in that I enjoy what I'm doing, but it's not successful in the way that it's like, you know, it's not my my main vocation. You know, I mean, right, right. So you know, it's um, like slippery. You know, <laughs> yeah. I guess I didn't mean monetary success. You know, uh, more like uh, not being on your couch as much as I am. You know. <laughs> I definitely like to do things, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. So, uh, yeah. So, what's your recollection? Because this is, it seems to be a, a disagreement amongst some groups of friends of ours uh, how me and you actually met. You know, why would me and you know how we met? You know, uh, actually, you know what's, you know what, another notable thing to bring up before we get going? We're doing this in person. This is the first oh, yeah. time that Rand, you and I have actually been in the same area, the same room, in over a year. It has been. I think it was January or mid-February, so it has been over a year. 
Yes. So this is like a sort of a uh, you know a celebratory uh, thing. You know, he drove down here from Connecticut to New Jersey, and uh, you know we had some good pizza. We went to Vintage Vinyl, bought some records. You know, almost like a normal day. Yeah, it's almost like a normal day, except it's not a normal day. Well, no, it's not. What'd you pick up anyway? I don't, I don't remember what you got exactly. I got a, a box set by an old Seattle band called the U Men, uh, which uh, notable to me and you because it was also uh, a band that was one of the first Amrep releases, one of our favorite labels, Amphetamine Reptile. Yep. Um, and I actually just found out recently that Tom Hazelmeyer, the founder of Amphetamine Reptile, did a short stint playing guitar in the U Men. Um, did like three shows when he was stationed out in Seattle or Washington when he was in the military. I think it's awesome that Tom Hazelmeyer was like, a, he was like a Marine or something like that. Yeah. Dude, everything, the more I find out about that guy, the more I like that guy. Yeah. He's into you know? like guns and everything. Yeah. It's just like a dude, you know what I mean? It's, it's not pretentious. It's, um, so I picked that up pretty psyched to get into that. It's like, I'm, I'm not that familiar with the U-Men, but everything I've heard I've liked and I don't own any of their stuff. So it was a good thing to grab. Uh, I got a couple of Melvin's reissues, um, gluey porch treatments, early, early Melvin's record. That's awesome. And I bought a uh, record by a man from Australia called Lubricated Goat. One of my favorites. Also, uh, a lot of their material came out on AMREP. Yeah, this one, one is on Reptilian, but yeah, yeah, a lot of the stuff they did is on AMREP. So uh, that's what that was my haul for today. You got you got something too. Right? I just got one record today. I got the new uh, John Carpenter, Carpenter John Carpenter four, or lo- our lost themes four rather three three three. Yeah, see, I don't even know what the fuck I bought. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's uh, you know I'm a big fan of his movies and music, and uh, same. Just he's I just fascinated with john carpenter anyway just in general and um you know it's, it's good to see he's got a new record out and someday i'd like to see him live you know i did get the chance to see him live it was incredible uh when he was touring the last time doing all the themes yeah from the movies um it was really really great um but yeah that new record is awesome i'm also a huge fan of it's cool like that this late in life i mean i know he's always had it's kind of a musical career, scoring a lot of his own movies. But, like, I mean, I think in, like, his 70s, he started making albums of original music not for movies. <laughs> it is kind of cool. And also, I feel like he's leaning he- more heavily into making music than movies right now. Yeah, it appears that way. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, that's fucking inspiring, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. I can only hope when I'm at that age, if I make it to that age, that I'm still being productive like yeah. that. And that's a uh, vintage vinyl in Fords, New Jersey, man. That's like uh, you know, pretty pretty legendary spot out here. Uh, I've been going. I, I've only lived in Jersey for just about a year now, just under a year. But I've been traveling to that store uh, for you know over a decade, man. Just when I found out about it, probably in the late '90s, I guess. Um, it was always a stop, you know, coming down here on the way to shows. Maybe if we were like going to play in Philly. We might leave a little early and stop at Vintage Vinyl, buy a couple records, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I remember many weekends, me and Mike Scandato, who um, I do Necromaniacs with, we, uh, we would drive down on Saturdays sometimes, spend a bunch of money on records, and, you know, it's just like a cool hang, you know what I mean? Definitely a cool spot. I went there for the first time a couple of years ago. Um, great place, man. I'll probably be hitting that spot every time I come down. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> 
So right now, how do you, what do you think of this coffee, man? We're, we're drinking uh, my right wing coffee, uh, <laughs> Black Rifle coffee. It's pretty good, right? That's yeah, really good. Um, my favorite coffee, I uh, used to like Savage Gold. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's not around anymore, unfortunately. Well, no. Maybe someday we'll see it. Maybe. Maybe Come back to that. So uh, I've been searching for a go-to coffee since then, but this might be it. It's been recommended by a few other people too. Yeah, you know, it's um, a few other right wingers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so anyway, how did we meet, man? It was right. in the '90s. It was in Boston. I'm yes. trying to remember. You were someone that I was always aware of because I I liked cable. Um, and you were friends with, uh, we had a lot of mutual friends. One was, uh, is Jeff Kashid, who is also another co-host on Necromaniacs and played in the band Isis and was in, uh, you know, he was also in cable for, for a period, period yeah, of time. He was a founding member. Founding member of cable. And he was in the band Palms with, uh, the dude from, uh, from Deftones and some of the other ex Isis guys. But, uh, Jeff and I were briefly played together in a, in a, a band in Boston and that's was my connection to you as like a, on on the friend level as a, as a guy that when we, we became friends i believe it was jeff was the conduit for that yeah i hate to give him that credit you know but <laughs> now jeff has an amazing memory too uh once in a while he's wrong but 99 percent of the time he's got he can just remember the smallest details of shit that so I hate to I hate to say he's wrong here, but I was aware of you and had met you briefly before Jeff kind of made the connection between us two. Um, I went to a show in Boston. I'm going to say it was late '93, early '94. Um, it was Caspar Bratzman Massacre, a band we both love, uh, Engine Kid, and the opening band was a band from Boston called Otis. Uh, you were in yeah i played in that band i'm gonna say i don't think it was as early as 93 it might have been 94 95 more okay yeah because i don't otis you know it's funny when when you're playing bands like you really you think that the band's like existence spans all these years and stuff and then you go you go to realize that the band was only together for like two and a half years or something you know true and um i feel like that band was together for a long time but it really wasn't i think that i think i moved to boston in 94 and by the time 97 happened, when 97 rolled around, I'd already, Otis was done. I already played in 454 Big Block and I started Anodyne. So it has to be 94. That was one of our earliest shows, actually. Was, was like, it really? Was that, okay. Yeah. That, was, that wasn't like our first show, obviously. But right, It was right, like right. one of the first, within the first several months of us being a band, we played that. Did you have a record out or any kind of release out by then? We just had a demo out at that point. Okay. Yeah, there's no um, no record or anything. All right, my my time might be a little skewed on that. Either way, it was before uh, our friend Jeff moved to Boston. Yeah, because I didn't meet Jeff until probably '96, I imagine. Yeah, because I think he moved to Boston in the summer, end of the summer of '96. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, I was at that show, saw the opening band, and I dug it, man. It reminded me a lot of Helmet. Oh you know? yeah, I mean that's our we ripped them off like yeah. hardcore. So yeah, you're not the only ones, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was I watched your set and uh you're hanging out. I think you're at the bar. I think you were hammered actually at the bar. <laughs> Definitely not at that time, man. Uh you know, I just remember going up and saying, Hey man, you know, I enjoyed that good set and you're probably like, yeah, who, who the fuck cares? Who are you? You know, get away from me. But that was how my first introduction to knowing who you were and that you played in bands and stuff. And then yes, 
a few years later, shortly after, we would reconnect through Jeff or whatever. Um, I think the first time we actually had a conversation is the day I moved up to Boston. Uh, I moved up to Boston in the summer of 98 to play second guitar in ISIS. Yes. For a brief time. But I moved into the Hydrahead Records house with Jeff and Aaron. Chris Mearshack was living there as well at the yep. time. Original uh, keyboard player for ISIS. And we lived up on uh, Mission Hill in Roxbury, um, which back then was a little different than it is now. Yeah, I lived down the street from you guys. Yeah, you're at like yeah. the bottom of the hill, or yeah. like halfway up Calumet Street. Yeah. Uh, but I remember it was a brutally hot day, man. And I was, I went, walked down to the store and I'm walking back up the hill and you're in the, on the sidewalk, like standing there, <laughs> sweating like profusely with a sock with an eight ball in it. <laughs> and I kind of recognized you. I mean, I didn't know where I knew you from, but I knew that I knew you. And I knew that you were like, you know, into, hardcore metal and shit i knew we somehow knew each other right so i was like hey what's up man i don't remember how the introduction went from there but you're like yeah this guy just tried to fucking roll me man oh yeah yeah, yeah that's, i remember that <laughs> it was pretty intense uh meeting yeah and then you're like yeah you want to come inside for a minute hang out like we went and hung out and it was like real weird and they are dark and like that 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 time of my life was very very weird it was uh <laughs> You know, that, that house, it's funny because I, you're, you know, on an earlier version of this podcast, I had Anthony Papalardo, who was a good friend of mine, actually, on this uh, show. That uh, 38 Calumet Street address was like kind of an infamous place, actually. Over, over, more so after I, after I left because all those, those guys that did the, uh, you know, the, the New York sucks or Yankee sucks guys, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, they started the T-shirt. Bootlegging t-shirts. That, that existed, but then those guys moved into that house, and they're all like these ex-straight-edge guys, right? And, uh, and then they just went crazy together uh, and started doing like mad like drugs and got into all this like derelict behavior, which I have to say that I believe that um, I'm not going to take all the credit for it, <laughs> but I feel like like the, the, the guys in my little circle were probably an influence on them, you know, as far as like the hooliganism that happened around that time. Well, you guys, that that building was at three floors, and all three floors were like punk and hardcore dudes. There used right? to be a family that lived in there too, but they moved out. Oh, they uh, must then, have been psyched. Yeah, then like the first floor was Rama Mayo, who did uh, Big Wheel Recreations right. label. Right, remember that. Then uh, the second floor and the third floor were were derelicts, like guys, like my friends and me, and like. You know, it was just bad news guys, you know what I mean? So you think you and your friends maybe turn these guys to the dark side? I think so. I'm not going to say, because like during that whole period of my life, I was like, I was, you know, I, I never really called myself straight edge, but I was like clean living guy, you know, I didn't drink, I didn't do anything. and But I, but I, but I wasn't like those guys that were in 10 yard fight or in my eyes, you know what I mean? Yeah, I always, uh, like I knew you weren't a big partier and stuff, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. But uh, I always thought of you as more of like the Rollins kind of camp. Okay. Because yeah. Rollins is like a clean living guy too, but he's not like a straight edge kid. Right, exactly. Champion so, sweatshirts. Yeah, you know, like I had, I was more into the dark side, you know what I mean? Right. And and right. like, you know, but but once again, I wasn't like, you know, but I also didn't, I also wasn't telling people not to do all that stuff either. You know what I mean? 
right and right, there was right. like that whole movement in boston a straight edge like there was like you know and i like those dudes like the 10 yard fight guys are friends and like you know i didn't really know the in my eyes guys that well i, I met i got to know papalardo years later right. but you know they're you know they're good guys you know whatever but but they were more on the scene stuff you know and i think right at that time i was in my late 20s so i was out of the scene like the hardcore scene per se yeah and i was trying to do other shit even though the stuff that i was doing was still in the hardcore scene but it was like not like youth crew type shit you know what I mean? right i think we were both kind of on the same path yeah like cable was the same kind of story we were, we were influenced by neurosis today's day and unseen and like stuff right. like that yeah yeah i mean i started cable the cable is band i did off and on for years and years uh for those of you who don't know um I kind of started that band as a reaction to like hardcore being pretty dumb, get, getting pretty dumb, right. you know, a lot of it getting pretty dumb. <laughs> I didn't want to be in like a band, be really associated with what hardcore was turning into in my eyes, you know, just wasn't my thing. Um, so yeah, it's funny. Like I always find, I'm not referencing these guys, these Boston guys at all, but uh, cause I know some other people, I'm not going to mention any names, but it always seems like straight edge dudes, man, when they, when they, break edge they go all in man. <laughs> so, oh yeah those, those guys go nuts man. some of the sketchiest yeah. fucking stories i know about people were, were like diehard straight edge people and then when they when they weren't they probably should have just stayed straight edge you know i mean my ideas on that stuff though man it's like it's cool to, I, I i've always more been about just like freedom you know like like any i never really liked um groups you know or, or gangs gang mentality because a lot of that just it's like conformity like, that's why, like, one of the things I hated about Youth Crew is how everyone fucking looked exactly the same. You know what I mean? Like, right. shaved head, champion sweatshirt, you know? like Right. And just, to me, it just seemed too uniform and too conformist, like, the whole thing. Because, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, like, I guess, like, even though, like, uh, you know, maybe creatively I don't feel that much um, affinity to punk music, but... That was like the first like outside shit that I really got into, and, and it wasn't it wasn't hardcore. It was like bands like X, you know, like Black Flag, which is I guess a hardcore band, but they have like a very individualistic uh, mentality, you know what right. I mean? Like Flipper, like that kind of stuff, you know. And then to me, like the later shit, like the Youth Crew stuff, was like, oh wow, now it's like dudes that play football and like guys that like dress like they're going to basketball practice are are part of this this like punk scene and i just wasn't that into it really you know what i mean it was like sure i could see that know, I, I there were not too many there weren't really a lot of, lot of like girls involved in that stuff and <laughs> you know i was like a young guy man so i wanted to hang i had like a cool like punk rock girlfriend when i was in high school and like well actually I, yeah it was like right when i was getting ready to graduate i had this beautiful young lady like you know she actually turned me on to a lot of cool music that i still like you know but um I was like, I want to hang out with girls, man. I want to be with like girls with like cool haircuts, you know what I mean? And, like <laughs> into cool music and like we're into art and stuff like that. I didn't want to like hang out with a bunch of dudes that I just saw in wrestling practice, you know what I right. mean? <laughs> I was pretty uh, opposite of that. I mean, I did get into, you know, like traditional punk stuff first, you know, Black Flag, Sex Pistols, Dead Kennedys. That was my entry to that stuff. But I did discover a lot of that stuff that you know the first wave of youth crew type stuff yeah. youth of today all the early revelation records bands uh i was pretty deep into that for a few years you know i would go to the anthrax club down in norwalk uh every weekend man for a couple of years and and around that time the the scene was kind of dominated 
uh, by that stuff. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, Connecticut was known for that, actually. It was. But I say that, but when I go back and look at sometimes online, I'll see uh, the Anthrax used to do like a monthly flyer with a list of all the shows. Yeah. You know, and it had like the 25 shows for the month because they had shows there constantly. When I go back and look at some of these, I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, Youth of Today, Bold and Judge. I, went, I was at that show. And then I'll look like down. It's like St. Vitus, Voivod, yeah, no, and, like, I, the Rollins band. Yeah. I'm like, to, now to go back in time and be like, fuck, I wish I went to those shows. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> there was a lot of, that's just what I, you know, when I started going to shows, man, I, I kind of fell into that sector of it. Uh, not that I didn't like other stuff. I did wear champion sweatshirts and shit like that for, you know, whatever it was, a year. I got deep into that. But I, I always liked other shit. I, I totally feel like there's a lot of narrow-minded shit in that scene. Um, I, I like to say for myself, I don't think I would. That's probably why I didn't last long in it. Yeah, you know? Then again, totally. who does last long in that? I mean, you. Sh- I, I, and I, I think I, I hinted at this when I talked to Fred about it. It was like... You kind of should grow out of it a little bit, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like meant for young young men, and like, I, I kind of think like, um, you know, I I don't you know judge anyone at all for anything really, you know, like well there are things I judge people for that's not true, <laughs> but like, but I mean when it comes to music and like if you're going to be any, part of any kind of counterculture, you know, which is definitely what this is, it's just not my cup of tea, but like, right, I can it's important, you know, and I think like the straight edge message if you're you know a young guy is like a cool message to have. But also, it just gets into the uniform ideas, and like when everyone has the same ideas about stuff, I get nervous. You know, I don't like that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Krishna, then Krishna started, and always like, you know, yeah, that. Uh, you know, when Shelter first came out, I mean, they were really, they weren't the first band actually with uh, touches of that, but they were the first like real. Well, the Chromags, right? You know? But it was never as overt with the Chromags, right? Yeah, you know. Shelter was like, we're Harry Krishna band and we're going to show up wearing fucking robes and chanting, you know, and all that shit. And I don't care if it's Krishna. I don't care what it is. I'm not, uh, I'm a pretty anti-organized religion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. Guy on every level. Yeah. I don't really buy any of it. Uh, I think it's a, uh, I think it's most for the most part, they're pretty evil actually. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, you can, you can go back and, you know, now, now, you know, 30 years later, there's all these like, books about that era of hardcore and you know the whole krishna thing was very it seemed like there's a lot of exploitation going on a lot of like you know sketchy like stuff happening within the scene with people victimizing like young people and stuff like that so i mean you know but i get it i understand like if you're if you're you know you're young you want to break away from like traditional society and you have like this seems like an attractive thing because of the spiritual element to it but Ultimately, for me, I just, you know, even in my own pursuits with quote unquote spirituality, it's always been this very individualistic, you know, borrowing from here, borrowing from there, reading this book, reading that book, and coming up with my own philosophies about things. And like, but when someone's like telling you what you're supposed to do, I, 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 I can't fucking handle that, man. I just can't. I don't like right. people telling me what to do or what I can do or how I have to dress or any of that shit. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. So, um, but yeah, the Chromags, though, I've always thought were great, you know, because they, they were just like this evil band of scary motherfuckers, you know? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. They were one of the, an early band for me that I got into. Yeah. Um, I got to see them, you know, pretty early on, too, which was cool. Um, I've seen, you know, all the other incarnations of the band, but that original version of the band was pretty deadly. <laughs> you yeah, know? hell yeah. 
But that time in Boston, though, man, that was like, I think like now that enough time has gone by, there's there has to be some, some kind of like document about the '90s in Boston, like specifically the stuff that was going on with Hydrahead and all those bands, because um, some of those, I mean, Isis and Cave In, you know, even Piebald got to be very, you know, uh, the Explosion. Those are all bands that came out of this, like Cave In, Cave In, yeah, yeah. They all came out of this, like that scene which is kind of centered around this part of boston we're talking about calumet street you know what i mean and like yeah like yeah. that whole like you know we had big wheel recreations and hydrahead were right there on mission hill yep uh you know then and that's kind of like hydrahead was like this brand new thing this brand new injection and i was really excited about it man when i found out about aaron and what he was doing and like you know before isis even existed like the stuff that he was putting out like i remember like those early seven inches that were like hand constructed records. Yes. You know, and, and I think like really nowadays everyone enjoys this beautiful packaging that we get, you know, you, you know and you almost take it for granted. You know what I mean? Like right. now, like the artwork presentation and the music all go hand in hand. Right. Right. But I think before 1995, it wasn't really the case. I think that Hydra had in some ways kind of started that movement. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, like, you know, punk and hardcore records and stuff. Like, the art's cool, like, the presentation's cool. But when I think of, like, underground records that are, like, elaborate, like, handmade, put-together records, like, really going the extra mile, that's what I think of. You know, when I think of all, like, the early SST records and stuff, it was just, like, here's your record. Yeah. You know, and they look, a lot of them had great art and stuff, but uh, it was just different. What Hydrahead was doing was, like, bringing way more art into music that's Definitely. why it's such an interesting story with hydrahead because not only was the a lot of the music uh you know kind of pushing the envelope but just the uh presentation of it all yeah. you know it's uh there's a lot to that label beyond the music you know i would have to agree on that you know and, and you you're you know you're 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 a hydrahead artist like cable was on that label for a number of records yeah we had two full links uh on hydrahead and uh <laughs> it's funny we're talking about like the art element of hydrahead because the second record we put out northern failures is just completely black like it's black with black print on it it just looks like a black square <laughs> so it's like that uh that spinal tap record you know? exactly <laughs> or uh acdc back in black yes you know? just not as good even better yep uh yeah so like we probably have i mean not that it looks bad it's just very like it's black it's just a black square you know um, I probably could have just picked up the phone and been like, hey, Aaron, can you make this look awesome? And he probably would have been, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Aaron had the, he had like the, the, the talent to do that. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that, um, you know, like a lot of artists that I know, people that do their own artwork, like it's not so much like there's no commerciality to it, if that's even a word. But they're like, you know, if you're if you're like a painter or something, you spend resources on getting paints and materials and to make something creative. And I think that was like kind of Hydrahead's, uh, you know, goal. That was like their, their I mean, I, you know, I've you know, talked to Aaron about this and stuff, too. It's like that's what I was able to glean from those conversations was that it was. Yeah, it was a record label, but the art was like and. Was and when I say art, I mean graphic and music were like the things that really were the important part, you know. And then it worked because people really responded to that label, man. Like they developed their own sub 
set of fans which followed the label and followed the bands and you know all that kind of stuff yeah absolutely man you know and i lived there for a minute and i know you know you were there quite a few times living right down the street walking into that apartment was a trip because it was like you open the front door and then like the, the hallway was weird it was like really high ceilings and like this long corridor kind of before you got to the actual living space yeah but aaron had just painted from floor to ceiling the whole hallway, the kitchen, the living room would just like, he painted it with his original art. Like it's like crazy demons with like meat cleavers. And yeah, shit. it was like the, uh, the the bloodlet entheogen devils. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Right, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was, it was just cool. You were co- constantly surrounded by art, like living there, you know. It was, uh, it was an inspiring thing um, being around that, you know. You know, as much as I don't like Boston, <laughs> like... <laughs> I have to say that, like, that was a fucking cool time, man. You know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, a lot of these bands are starting out. Um, you know, my old band, Anodyne, was peripheral to the stuff that you guys were doing. I mean, we were never on Hydrohead, but we, like, you know, we had to play with Isis, we played with Cable, Drowning Man, you know, a right. lot of these bands that were on there. So that was, like, like, a real cool time for me, you know? I thought that was, like, you know, Otis was, like, there was a lot of, like, um, Four different guys who had four different ideas about what the band was supposed to be. You know what I mean? Right. And that that leads to a lot of tension, you know? And, and like, um, you know, we put out those two records. You can't find them anywhere, probably. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't think I, I wouldn't want anyone to find those records, really. But, like... <laughs> I'll post some links later. You know, it's funny. Mark Thompson, who used to work at Hydrahead, and Jay Bennett, the famous Jay Bennett, you know, rock scribe. <laughs> yes. Always bring that up. They always bring that fucking band up whenever they talk. Like not whenever they talk to me, but <laughs> frequently the that band comes up. And and they were legit fans of the band, which I think it's fucking nuts that anyone liked that music. I liked it when I seen it. I, super, I can't it's gotta be super dated by now though. I don't know if I've actually even heard any I mean, I've heard a song here or there, but I don't know if I've actually heard any of the records. Because I think by the time the records came out, I you know, You're it's not really past it, yeah. Yeah, it just wasn't what I was looking for, yeah. you know. Um, I imagine that band was good live. Um, you know, it's like, I, it was heavy, you know. It's, it had like that kind of mid-tempo, like helmet thing going on, you know. Definitely, like, definitely. You know, and it, you can like move your body to it, you know, and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, that sounds like live would, would have been cool. But once you really dig into the um, the recordings, I think the recordings are just garbage, man, if you ask me. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you had a different vision for what it was, uh, should have been. It's right? like you had like four different guys, just if you, four guys didn't even know each other that live in different parts of the country and you gave them a click track <laughs> and then say, I'll make a record. That's what it, to me, what it sounds like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's like, here's the tempo, go to town. And it's in, in, it's in this key, you know? Uh, but there's like a running thing with uh, a lot of, uh, you know, your friends and, uh, associates we like to bring up all these old bands from your past that you never want to talk about make you feel uncomfortable you know like i I mean i've brought up otis many times versoma i I sprung that on you one time uncomfortable with with versoma i'm not really uncomfortable it's just that it's like it's not much of a story to tell with any of these things really i mean otis was cool because i got to do shit with that That was the first time i ever really did anything with music was like that band like besides from playing like parties and doing shit you know right but like you know, we went into a real studio, we recorded, you know, we put out two records, you know, we toured a lot, 
We went to Europe, which was sick. The first time I'd ever been there was with fucking Fetus. It's incredible. Jim Thurwell, right? <laughs> it's incredible. On a bus with that motherfucker. Right. With, uh, you know, William Tucker from Ministry and Revco <laughs> was also on that bus. That's nuts. And, and, uh, and Bark Market was on that tour. It was another great band from the 90s, too. You know, Dave Sardi, I got to hang with him. Yeah. On I that like, tour, I, like... I met Casper Bratzman. Oh, really? I met him in Berlin, man. We oh, played it. We played a show, and you know, all those cool like Berlin people came to see Fetus play there. And uh, I met him. I met some of the guys from Neubauten. I didn't meet Blix of Bargeld, which would have been sick. Yeah, that would have been cool. Um, that same venue, Ice T was playing. <laughs> so like the Fetus tour was in a smaller room, and then Ice T was playing this like massive, you know, like like you know, big probably a thousand capacity room. So I, after we did, were done playing, I went over and I watched uh, I watched Ice T play, which I thought was cool. Do you remember what year that was? Uh ni- yeah, it had to be like probably ninety five, maybe. You know, I wonder if I that think, was the original Gangster tour. I don't, I don't remember. I don't know the chronology of his records. I just know I like, I like, I have like a ton of old Ice T records. I like, I love Body Count. Like, oh yeah, the first, like the all the first four or five Ice T records are awesome. Yeah, you know, Freedom of Speech. You know, that yeah. that shit was cool. It's great, man. Um. Yeah, and that was that. I mean, that was that. Just gave me an idea about like what is possible, like if you work hard with music, that you can do cool shit, you know. And it's like this is stuff I've always wanted to do. Like ever since I was a young kid, you know, listening to you know Scorpions and fucking UFO and Sabbath and all that shit. Right. Being like, man, someday I would love to go out and play in front of people, you know, and make a record. And I got to do all that stuff, and and it, it really did. I mean. It's in the you know, when I was in college, like I was just like, yeah, man, I'm just gonna do engineering and like fucking, you know, get married to some broad I was going out with at the time. And <laughs> that's why I moved to Boston, by the way. I, I ever tell you that? I think so. Yeah. yeah, I moved there to be with this 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 lady, right? So like, I, I moved there. I quit my job. I moved there in the middle of the winter. I have this like, all the money I made, you know, doing this, this pretty good job I had. I had it okay, I'm going to move to Boston. And then I, I rented this room, in a basement room in, on Beacon Street outside of Fenway Park. It just like suffered for fucking <laughs> months, dude. Like I, I couldn't find a job. I had this thing kind of lined up and it fell through. And then like when the, when the girl moved back to Boston, within two weeks she broke up with me. <laughs> and then I had, you know, I found a job, you know, I started doing my thing over the summer and I'm like, like, my dream was my my like goal was not to be in a band, like right. I I was not even thinking about that. I was thinking about doing my job, you know, getting married, buying a house, like having kids, like all that shit. It's right. like I'm like 22 years old or 23 <laughs> years old at this time, right? But then like when that happened, it was like suddenly this fucking switch went on, and I was like, man, fuck all this shit, man. I, I'm gonna do what I want to do, you know, and I want to like. You know, I was always in, you know, even though I, I was into my job or whatever, like I still was very much into music, man. I listened to, you know, still listen to the Black Flag Rollins band, like checking out all the new shit that came out, Rorschach, you know, Poison Idea. Like I think um, Feel the Darkness came out, what, 1990? So I was like down with that record. Right. You know, all this like, you know, the new shit from Seattle at the time, like Soundgarden, like all that stuff. And I was like, man, I'm just going to buy some fucking gear and I'm going to try to do a band. <laughs> and like because I was playing guitar you know my, by myself you know keeping my shit together playing guitars 
And then I put a band together that summer, man, in the midst of all that. And it was the band. I made, I started the band just so I could fucking kill those hours I had after work because it was like I was in so much fucking pain that summer, man. It was no like, girlfriend, so. I had every put all my eggs in this one basket. I came back to Boston because I went to college there. We, the, the girl and I both went to college there. And, uh, and it was just disintegrated. It had been obliterated. In, in a moments. And I remember she only lived like two miles away from where I was living too. So the whole time I'm like trying to avoid like driving down certain streets and everything. And <laughs> right. I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, fucking, I gotta avoid her. I can't, you know, you know, that's why I started writing all this like poetry and shit and my notebooks. I'm like, you know, the night is dawning and, you know, I feel alone and all this fucking, <laughs> you know, black ink on black paper shit. You know what I mean? Right. And like, you know, just staying in my room and I'm like, man, like doing the band was like, killed those hours. It gave me something to do. And like, I was able to, the good thing about those four guys, about the four of us, is we wanted to fucking practice, which was sick. We were all, all four of us were fucking losers. <laughs> so we just like, you know, oh yeah, what do you do? You get a practice space. Cool. So we got a practice space and we just practiced five fucking days a week, man. You know, at minimum. Sometimes we would go in on Saturday and be there like, all day long rehearsing, right? Writing songs. And that's how that band, I guess that's the good thing about that was, was that being able to do that was cool. And then, okay, great. If I work my ass off, I can achieve things like that. And I guess I just kept that mindset rolling throughout the, the rest of my musical like thing, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, if you can take that away from it, then regardless of whether you, you know, you like the music or now or whatever, I think you learned how to be in a band, you know, you learned how to put in the work and you learned how to tour, you learned how to do all that stuff, you know? So that's, that's important, you know? Yeah, totally, man. Um, regardless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you're known for that too, man, amongst, you know, the underground circles as a guy who works hard. Oh really? You know? That's <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. I mean, from the people I, you know, have talked to, I mean, you have that reputation of a guy who's fucking, he says something is going to do it and you go out and do it. You know, yeah, that's I, a good I thing. Liked, I like the uh, the other the other thing where like I'm a hard guy to work with too. Yeah. Like, good, like I'm known for being a fucking prick, I guess, to certain people. Well, I don't know. As long as we knew each other, we never really worked together until a few years ago. Yeah, you know, I did a short stint playing with you in Tombs, and uh, I, I didn't have any issues. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it's that old thing. As long as you show up and do what you're supposed to do, it's not gonna be an issue. Well, that, that's that's the really the takeaway from that is like you know I mean there are a lot of people out there who think you know like there's there's a different level I guess to like like a commitment you know and and I think that like the years that I spent you know like wrestling and playing you know doing like martial arts and shit like that it's like you know the ability to to do one thing over and over and over again until you get it right is like the thing that like I put into doing music too you know what I mean and it's like. Some people just don't have those experiences, which is not their fault. You know, it's not like I look down on somebody because you don't, you can't do that. But I would just, that's one of the things I look for in other people to play in a band with is if you have the, you know, the ability to, to just like drill down into like repetitive things and just learn and get good at stuff like that, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, it's important if you want to succeed, you know, <laughs> it's like anything in life, man. You got to put in the, the work. It doesn't just... Yes, maybe it just happens for some people, but yeah. if you want to create something, uh, you know, 
concrete. You got you to gotta do the work. You, know? you, you and I have known each other for a long time, man. It's like, what's cool is like there, there were periods of time where we really weren't that in touch for a while. But we were just kind of right. drifting in and out of each other's lives. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I feel like there's many years that have gone by at certain times uh, where, you know, we didn't see each other, didn't talk or whatever. But it was always like, uh, but I could reach out to Mike and it was like, it was never weird, you know? Well, it's probably weird, but like, weird. <laughs> it might have been weird for you. It's, it's probably weird, like, just because I said weird shit, but like, <laughs> probably not like weird in like uncomfortable ways. No, know? not uncomfortable weird. Just, just general weird, you know? <laughs> so, um, based on what you told me earlier, you uh, are getting back into doing music that's not going to be cable, which I'm really fucking excited about. Yeah, man. Um, I, you know, I got a couple, couple things, couple irons in the fire. Um, one of them is just a little over a year ago, uh, I joined an existing band from New England called Come to Grief. Uh, this band is was formed by the founder of the band Grief, uh, Terry Savastano. Uh, he also played in Disrupt for a while. Uh, solid dude, incredible musician. Uh, when, you know, Grief had been broken up for years. He wanted to uh, refire up something similar, but because of uh, you know inner band schism with grief, which you know I know all about inner band schism. Yeah, <laughs> he wanted to call it something else, uh, but still play some of the grief material that he wrote back in the day. So uh, come to grief was born. You know, it's like maybe around five, four or five years ago now, and uh, you know they recorded a couple twelve-inch EPs, did a split seven-inch. They've done a bunch of touring, played Roadburn bunch of cool stuff uh and they were looking for a bass player man i had become friendly with uh with jonathan the guy who sings and plays guitar um we had talked about cable and coming to grief at one point doing some shows together um those never panned out but we stayed in touch and when they needed a bass player he gave me a call um it was january of uh 2019 so i joined that band and we practiced three times and started writing an album and pandemic hit so I've been in that band uh, a year, but we've practiced three times. <laughs> uh, so hopefully we're going to be getting at, back at it soon. We have a whole album written. just needs to be recorded. Um, so that's kind of my main thing. But uh, other than that, yeah, I've started uh, making some music. Uh, I can't say too much about it just because it's not really 100% ironed out yet. Right. But uh, working with a good, a mutual friend of ours that I met through being on tour with Tombs, uh, Graham Brooks. He plays guitar and sings at a band called Barishi. Label mates to yep. uh, Tombs. Season of Mist. Yep. Um, so uh, we've been demoing some stuff up at his place in Vermont. Uh, got some few other people in mind to be involved, but it's in the very beginning stages. These some of these songs were things I had in my mind to be another Cable album. Right. But unfortunately, after. The last album we released uh, in 2019, Take the Stairs to Hell, uh, most of the other guys in the band left the band um, for various reasons. Um, Alex, our drummer, he's, uh, you know, Alex as well, another yeah. mutual friend. Mm -hmm. uh, he has a studio. He has a family. He plays in three other bands. Can't really commit to doing anything. Um, Bernie, the long, long-time friend and collaborator of mine, bandmate and Cable, since 1995, his family uh, and, and work uh, things just got, he can't do anything, you know? He can't, can't find even, like, practice, you know? <laughs> 
So, you know, it just became a thing like, all right, do I want to make another album here uh, with another revamped lineup of this band? And we didn't do anything to support the last album because of people's limitations. So after talking to some, uh, some close friends about it and giving it some more thought, I just decided to make this a whole new thing. Uh, I totally support that, man. I think that's awesome. Cool. Because, thanks. Uh, you know, it's just knowing the history of uh, Cable and, and being a fan of, of, you know, the entire career that you guys had. Um, it just, I see the toll it's taken on you on, on a, a personal, like emotional level. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you just now decided to move on and do something else and, and call it something else and start with a clean slate. And you got like, you know, Graham is like such a great dude to be in a band with too, you know? He is man. Just like the couple demo sessions we've had. It's like, uh, it's just opening some whole new doors of how to do stuff like proper pre-production, which I've never done making a cable record, man. I've never done like pre-production besides making a demo and a song on a boom box at band practice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're able to do things now and that, and kind of open my eyes more to this doesn't sound, even sound like cable. Like when we may take the stairs to hell, our last album, I think at the end of the day, even though there were some different people involved with make that album sounds like a cable album. It's yeah. not a departure from the record we did before that, you know? Um, but this, I mean, there's no vocals on any of these demos or anything, but just the music, it does not sound like cable, you know? Uh, so it just made sense. So it was the right thing to do, man. That's, that's yeah. awesome. As you know, you, I know, you know, and some other people who, you know, maybe fans of cable, there was a lot of drama surrounding the band from, yeah. you know, from early on, but more so with the making of the last record, you know, different drummer and all that stuff. And there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of baggage. I don't even know where to start. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know? just look at just what the band has existed for almost 30 years, man. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, this is. This is the 25th anniversary of Variable Speed Drive, which is our first studio album. And right. we were, existed three, two years before that. So, yeah, 27 years. Yeah, so, I mean, just within that time, like, so much shit happens. And, like, you know, it's like, it just, uh, it seems like just in and of just that time frame, like, that kind of duration would, would have, in, in and of itself, would there be baggage associated with that, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we kept it fairly active as far as releasing music, but we could just never seem to get our shit together to get out there and put in the work, which is like I said earlier, it's something I've always admired knowing you, man. No matter what you were doing, you're out there working. Whether it was a band you just put together, you're out there on the road doing it. You know, you you know, I've seen all different bands that you've done without even having records out or anything out on the road doing it. And that's what you got to do. And, you know, I'm not blaming this all on other people. Yeah. I, I am responsible for some of the lack of work and cable as well. Um, but there were other forces inside the band that I, I let get out of control. And, uh, you know, uh, I get, <laughs> I'll get accused by certain people uh, when it comes to the cable thing of being like the bad guy or, you know, but my fault is I'm too much of a fucking good guy because I let this shit go on. And on and on because I was trying to be a friend. That's what happens when you get in bands and you become friends with people. Sometimes, like, uh, it's hard to make those decisions. You know, there were people in the band that had to go a long fucking time ago, and I let it go on and on and on. 
And at the end of the day, I'm still the fucking bad guy, you know, so I just should have cut out the cancer a long time ago, but that, that's my fault for not doing that. But, uh, I beg to differ with some of these people who say, you know, I'm the fucking bad guy. And my problem is I'm too much of a good guy. So anyone with that opinion, you know, can go fuck themselves. Yeah, man. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I'm very, very happy, man, to be moving on with my music, dude. I, I had a, a great time playing with you and the other guys in tombs for the short time I was in the band. Uh, I wish that could have worked out differently. I had a lot of problems going on family-wise, you know, health of my mother and other things. Just wasn't a great time for me, you know? Yeah, dude, I mean, it's all good. I mean, um, it's not, it's, there's obviously there's no hard feelings over that. And, but honestly, I'm, I'm excited that you got this new thing going on and both things, like you got the new, the brand new thing and then you got come to grief and, you know, it's fucking sick, man. I love that. Yeah, man. Yeah, hopefully once, you know, this this COVID thing hopefully gets under control. Uh, we've got big plans for Coming to Grief, album, shows, touring, and hopefully this new project, which, you know, under this format of us doing things, man, I, I feel a little more comfortable, like just talking about what I'm doing personally. Yeah. And, uh, since, you know, it's a little more free form. Yeah, totally. Man. For information. Besides <laughs> from like my mom, maybe there's about maybe a good seven or eight people listening to this right now yeah yeah like my mother you know (laughs) (laughs) my wife your mother um yeah man so you know i'll I'll, uh i'll keep the information flowing on the new project as it becomes more viable you know uh pretty really really uh excited about the future both those things man hell yeah so now on this show what we're talking about here this road to ruin thing um you know like you we, we kicked around some ideas but um, essentially, it's going to be an extension of what we were doing on Metal Matters. But uh, we're going to be doing other, obviously, other things besides metal and extreme music. But some of the cool things we talked about was the Gigi Allen stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what was it? You, you threw this idea so, out there. Yeah. You know, a few weeks ago, when we were talking about the future of this show. I thought it'd be cool to, because we're both Gigi fans, yeah. you know? Uh, I thought it'd be cool to do something. I mean, that opens a very wide door sure. where to even start with Gigi Allen so most people kind of know the history of Gigi Allen you know, you know maybe not man you know, okay yeah all right. like back, <laughs> maybe not. you know not 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 everyone you know you, I think I, I also take that for granted that they oh yeah he's like that wild guy who used to like you know throw shit at people and stuff like that but I think that a lot of people aren't they don't understand like the, the catalog this dude has out and and kind of the uh you know the the freedom the freedom that that dude had and like that right you know like that's the things I respond to about Gigi Allen you know what I mean I want to talk about that kind of shit yeah so yeah so instead of picking like you know the hated in the nation album right like we would have done before uh, now we can make it a little more uh, just open so I, I came up with the idea maybe we sit down and watch uh, the the two prominent Gigi Allen documentaries that are out there uh, hated which has been out for years. Um, and then a newer one that came out a few years ago, which mainly focuses, it's on the, you know, about the life of Gigi, but it focuses heavily on Gigi's mom and his brother Merle. Right. Uh, I believe it's called Alan the Family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like a called. Showtime production, I believe, too. You know, I tried to find it on Showtime, but I don't think it's on Showtime yet. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I got the DVD, so I'll oh, okay. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll have it either way. Right. Actually, I have both hated and... Cool. So, yeah, we thought it'd be cool sit down and watch those back-to-back. And then kind of like when the first podcast we ever did together years ago under Everything Went Black, me and you went to see 
air quotes, black flag. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in Brooklyn. And we came back immediately after the show, and we sat down while it was burning fresh in our minds. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we that was the first podcast we ever did together. I and like that, was, that idea, man. This, yeah. It's a good idea. It was a lot of fun. So, we, you know, we're going to sit down and watch these two documentaries and then, like, hop right on the mics after and just kind of use that as a good format, you know? And I think we also talked about... Uh, a band we both mutually uh, love and discovered not that long ago, uh, a band called Brain Bombs. Yeah, that's um, actually the first time I heard them was at Armageddon Record Shop in uh, in, in Providence. Yeah, they uh, me too, because yeah. those guys are friends with some of those guys, and they reissue all their stuff and they oh, okay. put, put a lot of their stuff out in the uh, in the U.S. They had like uh, there was a song playing that the lyrics were "It smells like fuck in the room where we practice." <laughs> And I was like, wow, this is brilliant, man. This is like. <laughs> yeah. If anyone doesn't know who Brain Bombs is, check it out. They, they are, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, I guess the lazy description is like musically like noise rock. A little. Uh, it's noisy, that's for sure. Uh, vocally. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say it's not that far removed from, from there's a, I think there's kind of like a Gigi Allen thing going on in there. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Like super negative lyrics, like right. <laughs> very like uh, you know, like like grimy underbelly of life. Um, you know that kind of like the ugliness of human existence. Yeah, a lot of uh, reference to uh, drugs and, and hookers. And, and, it's darkness, you know. Yeah, like, it's, <laughs> yeah it's, it's fucking really cool. Actually, you want to know something funny? Uh, that that die the fuck's the song man? die you fuck die nope no no die jesus die oh yeah <laughs> that was like after, that was like the post loadout leaving the venue track on several tours we did back with the, the other one of the other lineups right like everyone everyone in the van okay cool we turn <laughs> like that that horn starts it off is that like a bugle i don't even know what playing? that was like a fucking trumpet or some shit it was like an ode to the cows maybe yeah you know? it reminded me the cows definitely <laughs> right and then we would play that into, you know, we would leave, listen to that song. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, we're both fans, but we don't know like a lot about it. So we figured doing a deep dive into the yeah. history of brain bombs. Educating you know, ourselves in the brain bombs. Yeah. And then, you know, we've had other ideas too. Like we've talked about kind of taking a day and like going on the road. Sure. And like meeting up with some people and, you know, talking about, uh, a record, but with someone who actually played on the record face to face. The well, three, you know, we had this idea back on Metal Matters of talking to Keith Bennett about Wrecking Crew, Balance of Terror. Yes, and absolutely. we talked, to, you know, Terry. We could talk about grief. Yep, you know, and, and doing doing these kind of road oriented episodes, and also talking to Graham about the vampire legend of where he lived. <laughs> like that's the yeah. um, when when we because Graham from Barishi, you know, like uh, our mutual friend, um, you know, we rented a, his van once. And uh, I remember I had to drive up there, and when I dropped, when I picked it up, he was telling me about how he lives on the edge of some haunted area in Vermont where there's like vampires and stuff like that. And I was like, "This is fucking awesome, man! You need to tell me this story like in more detail at some point." You know, you know the thing about Graham. The more I get to know Graham, though, he's like, he's his sarcasm is so on point that he'll start telling a story and. I don't know if it's fucking true or not. You think he lied to me about the vampires? 
I mean, I guess technically it might be a lie, but I would just say maybe he was trying to be like tell a, a story, you know, like some uh, inject some sarcasm. Well, I want to believe that there are vampires that live uh, on the outskirts of uh, of Graham's uh, farm. But, you know, <laughs> so I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I want to. Believe. I mean, I've been up there a few times. That it seems like it could be true, you know, yeah. by the area. He told me some other stories when I was up there. One about I'm not going to tell, but how he met his girlfriend, which is. Was a total fabricated bullshit story, but wow. the, the way it's told. So he's a chronic liar, is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna say he's funny. Yo, I know that man. I mean, hell, we did the, that, that that run of dates with those guys, you know. Yeah, that that was uh, doing that run of shows was was great, man. I mean, discover a, a band that I absolutely love that I might have never fucking heard and met some great those guys in Barishi. All three of those guys are great, great dudes. Um. But yeah, we talked about doing like the New England kind of road trip. We'll yeah. hit like go see Keith in Boston, then we can shoot over and, and visit Terry in, in uh, New Hampshire, and then shoot over to Vermont. We can do that all in a day. That's what's good about the Northeast. <laughs> one, one of the things that really like when we did the Swans on Metal Matters, like that episode could have been like fucking four hours long, man. Yeah, that was like you know Metal Matters was a lot of fun. It was a great experience. Yeah. Like, you know. Uh, but there was some. There were some limitations. Exactly. You know, you know what I mean. And that that's kind of like what I'm looking. That's one of the one of the motivations to moving everything over to here is that is like having just more of like the latitude to to do longer episodes and really you know, like that's mainly it because you know it's sometimes like I know that for me is because I, I, I'm the guy who edited all the stuff. I was like, oh man, I wish I could have left this in. You know, it's like, right. But you got to put your editor hat on and like figure out what's all right, what's essential, what's not, and right you know and that's hard to do with this type of thing where it's like so much of the little stories are what make it interesting and cool you know yeah i think we both referenced the term free form like this we can do a little more free form yeah. <laughs> and not worry about maybe we get rambling on some stories but you know from feedback we both got over the last couple of years people seem to like that yeah no, i agree you know I they don't want to hear us thing. read off a of wikipedia about iron maiden killers oh, they want to hear exactly like what i don't want to do man. right you know anybody can fucking do that yeah. they want to hear about you know, the first time you bought the fucking cassette at this little store in your hometown or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? That's, I know I like, that's the shit I like when I listen to podcasts too. Like, or, you know, or, or factual stuff that you can't just Google in two seconds. You got to put some work in to find, you know. That's what was good about doing episodes with Jay Bennett because, you know, his, his, his work, his life work is writing about music. So if we were to do, if we did an episode on, you know, Def Leppard or something like that, he had all these like little <laughs> anecdotes that he can talk about. You know? He probably didn't even have to look this shit up. Man. He probably looked it up well, 30 years ago. Yeah. Know? I mean, the dude probably has like mad pages of notes. Of, I mean, he's written about a lot of the shit that we talked about already. You right. Know what I mean, so, right. you know, ACDC, you know, and, and that, and that era of rock music is like his bread and butter, man. Like he loves all that early 80s and like late 70s stuff and he's real knowledgeable on that stuff yeah i believe well you know when i was living up in boston for that brief time uh jay turned me on to some cool music uh i was getting into that band caius when i lived up there yeah that was like kind of the heyday of that band really yeah kind of after they broke up yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) but you know i was just getting into them he's like oh it's cool you like you like them like and he gave me some live caius stuff i hadn't heard but he also turned me on to some 70s hard rock uh band cactus oh yeah it's like uh carmine a piece was in that yeah or vinnie a piece carmine right uh, uh carmine yeah. yeah yeah vanilla fudge yep okay um actually that was like half of vanilla fudge um 
But yeah, it was like real, like awesome, like bluesy but gritty. You know, it was like yeah. kind of like that songs that were like fucking noisy and heavy. And I'm like, this is from the seventies. <laughs> like that kind of opened my eyes to that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, even uh, I don't know Jay nearly as well as you, but uh, he was always a big supporter of Cable in the early yeah. days no, too. Man, it's awesome. Man. Great guy. Great guy. Uh, but yeah, man, we, you know, we've talked about doing stuff like maybe covering uh, like Public Enemy yeah, records totally, and shit man. like that, which. Yep. I know there wasn't a lot of restrictions in the old format, but I think we both might have felt that wasn't the place to talk about that. Yeah, you know, and then there's also, yeah, there was stuff like the Black Heart Procession, bands like Gun Club, bands like, you know, even the Swans are kind of like a metal-adjacent band, really. You know right, I mean? totally. And, and Michael Gira despises heavy metal music. So, right. <laughs> like, I, that's what I mean. Like, even though he's, like, influenced metal profoundly, you know, he doesn't like that he influenced heavy metal music. I think, he, remember, like, there was something in either the documentary or the, the biography, you know, the, the oral history, we talked about how he got he got bummed out when, like, dudes, like, metal guys started going to see the Swans play earlier on. Right. Because of how extreme they were, you know? Yeah. Right. So it's funny, and that's why, like, if I ever met that guy, like I wonder, I wonder, like if I should even say anything that you know, what an inspiration he's been. He's like, you know, I'd be mean? like, how like 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 Napalm Death influenced by you know, I talked to Barney on Metal Matters, and he's oh yeah, the Swans, you know, like was such a deep influence on them. I mean, even uh, was it from Enslavement? What's the the Lee Dorian one? Um, from Enslavement to Obliteration, or the first song on that fucking record is a Swans fucking song, man. It's like the heavy drums. Oh yeah. Uh, what? Which Fear, Emptiness, Despair? Yeah, is that the one. Yeah. Fear, yeah, yeah, Emptiness, yeah, yeah. Despair. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Sometimes I lose track of the titles. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. That first track is a fucking Swans song by a by a metal band by a grind band. You know what though? Have you, you never met Gira? I think you guys would get along good because he's another guy who has the rep of being difficult to work with, you know. So, well, after watching that documentary, how he conducts band practice, he does look like a pain <laughs> in the ass, though. That's fair, you know? yeah, but, but you know, I mean, without yeah, you remember what, Michael Gira? Yeah, I have oh. twice. I mean, uh, he's a nice guy. I, I don't like go to dinner with him, but like, yeah, yeah, he's a real nice guy to me. On the two different occasions I, you know, had interaction interactions with him at the merch table, or one time the the first time I ever seen him, I seen him solo before I seen the Swans or Angels of Light. It was just him playing acoustically. Uh, it was at the Bowery Ballroom, uh, in New York, opening for Low. Oh wow! And uh, I like Low, but I went down to see him. You know, that's a pretty uh, big room to play solo in, man. Yeah, well, Low was a pretty big band though, so that that the place was packed. Well, well, what I was talking about though is like if you. Was just him and a guitar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fucking heavy, man. Can you imagine that, dude? It, yeah, it, and it was it was heavy too. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, not in the traditional sense of like wall of amplifiers, but it was. But he was sitting. You've been to the Bowery Ballroom, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, right, so there's like the there, downstairs yeah. with the little bar. Oh, okay, yeah. and you go up, and the up is where the big room is. Right. So I seen him sitting at the bar, like downstairs by himself, and I'm like. I don't like to do this, but I was like, fuck it. You know, I, <laughs> I'm a, such a huge fan. Sure. He wasn't talking to anybody. I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to just say, hey, I'm a fan, you know. So I said, hey, man, you know, can I buy you a beer? Uh, and he's like, oh, I'm about to go on, but, you know, maybe after. And I'm like, all right, thanks. You know, big fan, psyched, you know. So I seen him after. And I'm like, hey, man, do you want that beer? And he's like, actually, yeah. 
<laughs> so I bought him a beer and we actually sat there and had a conversation for probably five minutes, you know, and he's like, so what do you do for work? You know, at the time I was driving a truck. He's like, that's good. That's good. Good work. Good, honest work. Good, honest work. <laughs> that's, that's what he said. Uh, so he was very cool, very polite, you know, and then I met him once uh, after an Angels of Light show. He was at the merch table. He always signs. You buy shit. He always signs it and everything. Right. Super cool, you know. So, but you know, I heard the horror stories and obviously seen the documentary. But you know, I mean, there wouldn't probably wouldn't be a Swans without yeah that kind of without him. There wouldn't be a Swans. That's for sure. <laughs> so, well, you know, like when we did that that tour with with Fetus back in the day, you know, I like that was like you know the, I was very into the Swans. Like when I was doing Otis, I was like you know, hugely into them. And I had this like swans, like long sleeve t-shirt that I wore all the time on that tour. And, uh, and the, uh, people in, in fetus, obviously know Michael Gira and and, like the tour manager and stuff were telling me all these horror stories about him and how hard (laughs) he is to work with and how he can't keep a band together and all this stuff. And it's like, and I was just like, Oh, that's cool. Whatever. Right. You know, I'm like, but I, not like that changes. I mean, I'm sure everyone has. It depends on who you are, too. If you're a guy who's like fucked up all the time and you can't show up to practice well, all the time, then maybe you should get thrown out of the band. That's know? the thing. You don't know the other side to all these stories. You know what I mean? Yeah, because like a lot, a lot of those people have problems with drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. Right. I'm not going to name any names once again, but I, I have from pretty reliable sources somebody that was in that world for a minute that didn't work out. It was like, yeah, that guy's impossible to work with, but yeah. You're gonna have that, yeah. You're gonna have those stories. So, well, totally, man. But yeah, I wouldn't mind revisiting a discussion about the Swans just again, you know. And, you know, maybe like people who didn't hear that that 50 minute episode we did on them, <laughs> right? Because that is a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, man. In, in an hour, you know, like I mean, shit. Maybe we could even do something like we're like a doing series on it. Yeah, that or like maybe one of the parts could be like we're talking about the Gigi thing is. Because uh, I think you got the Blu-ray too, right? Of the, the Swans. Swan, yeah, I have that. Yeah. This because the second disc is like a whole other documentary. Yes. We, we could sit down and watch that one day, and then talk about that. I like know? that idea. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's you know stuff like that. Another thing I really wanted to do, which um, I was trying to think if there was even any interest for it over at Metal Matters, was like a, a multi-part Rorschach um, oral history type of episode. You know, where and that would have to be multiple parts. Right. You know what I mean? Where I sit down with Charles, I sit down with Andrew, Keith and That'd be cool. You know, even peripheral guys like Will Tarrant who used to drive them and Chris Pierce who recorded their records and you know, right. all that kind of stuff. And like um just get like a over overall oral history of the band because that's you know, and, and any of you guys out there who don't know who Rorschach is, do me a favor or you know, go out there and check it out because it's like they're a seminal band when it comes to like chaotic hardcore, you know what I mean? Like if you're into, you know, Dillinger escape plan or whatever, you have to, at some point you have to believe that those guys had been influenced by Rorschach. I don't think Rorschach gets enough credit Yeah, for changing the game, you know? know, And and that, that I remember like when they, they had a reunion a while ago at this point, like what, eight years ago, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Might even be 10 at this point. Yeah. They, they did a reunion. And I remember um, it was like they had this these series of shows they played, and the whole the whole um, concept was all original members, all original roadies. 
<laughs> so that's great. So Will Tarrant was involved. The guy who did Chainsaw Safety Records. Chris Pierce was involved. They used Pierce's van. Right. You know, it was all the original guys, and it was fucking sick, man. And yeah, that was fun. when I got to sing Black Flag, uh, My War with them on stage. Right, which is incredible. And that was the day they played three shows in one day in New York. Yeah. ABC No Rio in the afternoon. Yep. Uh, La Passion Rouge in yep. Manhattan uh, in the evening, we'll yep. call it. Yep. And then it was like midnight or something, Late right? Late night show at the Acheron. The Acheron, which is the I went to the first two, and by the end, of, I'm like, I'm too fucking tired. We were going to do it, and then we didn't. And uh, yeah, you got to jump up and sing My War. I mean, one of your favorite songs probably with one of your... <laughs> Oh, yeah. favorite bands I mean, it's pretty that's pretty awesome and and the uh the 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 thing about it was that it was like an afterthought to even go to that show because i i went to maryland death festival that day because that was, day uh, yeah oh it shit was, it was um i wanted i specifically wanted to go and see napalm death and and godflesh mm. right that was that God was the Flesh. first godflesh show that was like before the they decided to make records again it right. was like they started okay we'll have some reunions Right. right. So I was like, all right, cool. I got to go down, check it out. You know what I mean? Drove back to New York. I'm like, oh, there's a, there's a chance that I could catch Rorschach play. I, I didn't live that far from the Acheron because I was living in Greenpoint. So I'm like, you know what, man? I'm, I'm wide awake, man. Let me just fucking check this out. <laughs> they hadn't started yet. They hadn't, I, I think they had just gotten there from the Poisson Rouge show. Okay. So they, you know, they were set up on stage and, you know, it's like, there's some people there. All right. And uh, which I was like, damn, that's kind of cool that people are, you know, at the show because it's the third one they played, right? You know, <laughs> and uh, totally enjoying it. And then Charles is like, you know, the words to my war. I'm like, yeah. So he just handed me the mic and I jumped up on stage and I sang it. That's great. That that's a great memory to have. <sighs> yeah. Dude, and you got, I know you said there's no video, but you know, you got yeah, a cool, Rich Hall's cool picture. Uh, wife actually snapped that photograph that I have hanging up in my office. Okay. Yeah, Carrie. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh. Rich Hall's a mutual friend. He used to do tons of shows in New York City uh, yep. at CBGBs. And, you know, he's a road guy. He's like a friend forever. And now he lives out in Seattle and married. Incredible artist, you know, fan of music, like, you know, lover of music, all around good guy. Yeah, great guy, man. He, uh, he was, uh, came on the road, did merch, and helped us out with the, uh, uh, when I was playing at ISIS, we did an ISIS cable East Coast tour together. He came with us. Um, Complete fucking disaster of a tour, <laughs> but regardless, Rich was there and was a good a good source of entertainment. Yeah, Rich Rich came out on tour to Anodyne a couple times too. You know, and those those shows were like the early days. Yeah, not like any Anodyne tour was 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 good really, but like that was like some of that was those are the kind of things where you're in the middle of the country, you have shows getting canceled, and you're like, what the fuck am I even doing out here? I mean, I'm sitting in like a Denny's. Oh, in like, you know, Omaha, Nebraska or some shit. And you're like, no show tonight, no show tomorrow. No show last night. <laughs> they all got canceled. The next show is like on Friday. What am I going to do? You know? Dude, dude, do I know? Yeah. Uh, this might contribute to one of the reasons Cable didn't do more touring. Because the three tours we did were fucking abysmal. I mean, our first tour, dude, uh, in 1996 for the Variable Speed Drive album, we were stuck in fucking Florida, dude, for like six days without a show. Florida, too, man. Florida. Damn. Uh, Gainesville, Florida. Yeah, it's like there could be worse cities in Florida to be stuck in, though. But yeah, I, any any it, when you're on the road and you don't have any money and you're just kind of like bored with nothing aimlessly in a city, it sucks. 
Well, it was July, so it was fucking brutally hot. But I mean, we were held up at a uh, girlfriend of our guitar player was living down there. Or Bernie was living down there at the time. So it was could have been worse. You know what I mean? We weren't like at a fucking truck stop in our van. We, <laughs> we had a house. We were fucking had endless supplies of like, you know, pizza delivered and yeah, fucking yeah. beer. So I mean, but still we had about five, four or five shows in a row get canceled like in the Southeast. You know, so every tour we went on was awful. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a hard thing to, it's like, cause it takes a while, like even, you know, or it doesn't, it's like, it's funny. It's like, you have, it's just the thing I, it's like such a fickle thing doing music because unlike other, other uh, vocations in life, you can work really hard at being a fucking painter or like a, you know, really hard at being an electrician or something like that. And you progress and you make more money and you get paid better and live a better life. But in music, it's like you could bust your ass for no fucking gain, man. Like you can go out there and work just as hard as everyone else. And if you just, for whatever reason, if you don't get that, any, that thing that people want, then you're fucking, you're fucked. You don't, that's it, you know, or, or if it's not the right time for what you're doing, you know, you're like, oh, that band, they were like a little ahead of their time, meaning like no one went to go see them when they were doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's later, another way for was, saying no one gave a fuck. Yeah, you know, and it's like, I get it, you know, and it's like, you know, Anna and I tours were always fucking hard, man. It's like, you know, we, we were similar to you guys, man. It's like it was a different thing, you know, and, and no one really gave a fuck about the stuff we were doing, you know. No, and that like this is a funny thing too. It's always like I felt like we were oh, and you know I'm not I'm not saying we were doing anything special, but I felt like we were a couple steps ahead of a lot of people. I don't know if I'm putting that right, but you know the band changed a lot in the early days, and uh, you know there's like a huge fucking thing now, man, with like stoner doom sludge metal, whatever the fuck you want to call it, whatever stupid tag you want to put on that. You know, we started kind of dipping our toe maybe in that water a little bit in like 2000. Yeah. And it like people who liked our records before, a lot of people were like, what what the fuck is this? You know, now like that shit is fucking like the coolest shit ever. Yeah. Or it has cool. been for a while now. But like, right. you know, back when, when we were doing that, man, there was really no interest, you know. So it, it's funny. Yeah. You know, even like we we started, we played a lot of hardcore shows. Yeah. We started, and we were not really a hardcore band. Uh, you know, we played with like Shelter or or One Hundred and Eight or uh, you know whatever Snapcase, whatever oh, bands <laughs> from back then. And it's just that's just because that's the scene we were yeah. involved in. So we didn't know what other shows to play. You know, um, and then you know it got a little bit better. We started playing like some more like kind of noise noise rock type shows or glaze baby and stuff like that from mutual friends and uh this guy brian simmons he runs a label called atomic action records mm-hmm. which has kind of been reborn but uh he put out uh, some of our first seven inches and stuff always been a really helpful to cable and he was working with some weird bands like uh glaze baby marjan crash um the laurels these weird like bands from providence that were like kind of art rock, noise rock, but they lived outside of the hardcore world completely, you know? Yeah, Providence has always been like that. Like, they've always had a real, like, outsider kind of vibe with their bands. So we'd play, like, a matinee, hardcore matinee at, like, the old living room in Providence with, like, a chokehold and mouthpiece. 
and then like load up the van and go across town to AS220. Oh, yeah. The weirdo fucking art space bar and play with Glaze Baby and Marjan Crash, you know, the same in the same day. Yeah. Totally. As like, we, we just kind of liked, we liked it all, you know? Yeah. We, Andy and I played a handful of like tough guy style shows. Like, I remember we did a whole run of dates across southern Canada with uh, 100 Demons and uh, Death Threat. Oh, two, two Connecticut bands. Yeah, two Connecticut bands. Like, dudes, one guy, a couple of those guys, I think, were in Hate Breed or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure at one point. I know yeah. uh, a guitar player for 100 Demons. You remember, was it uh, Bubba? I, don't know, I didn't talk to those guys. guys. I didn't talk to any of those guys. We, okay, didn't, we yeah. didn't interact at all. I've known him for years. That's the one guy in those bands I know. Well, I mean, yeah. So There was one dude from Death Threat. I think he was in Death Threat that he was in, in Yuppaside. Oh, okay. And that dude, like got what we were doing and he was pretty cool but like the kids at the show fucking hated us it was just like it, you know it was that right those types of nights it's like there was no breakdowns like our music didn't have any like fucking mosh parts or anything like that right right yeah you know, we played we played a ton of shows like that like even at cb's even in new york we would play like shows like ralphie sometimes put on like some ralphie was doing i'm talking about ralphie boy from disassociate who is another luminary like sure. main man in new york city when it comes to like underground music and he used to put on all these festivals. Like he brought over uh man as a bastard, you know, right. the first time in the East coast. Very like, cool. fucking the song, the green, like all that shit. Right. He was the man for that, you know? Right. But, uh, you know, the, when that whole metalcore thing started, not, not the cool, not like integrity and like Starkweather, but like, uh, that other type of metalcore started becoming really popular. Some, he would book some of those like fests with those bands and we were invited to play some of those and it was like, you know, horrible, man. Like fucking, <laughs> like just the worst. And we're playing, I'm like, wow, you know, we're, this is like New York. We like live here. It's like none of our friends came to the show or whatever, you know? And it's like, but um, it's all good though, man. It's like, it's, it's, it's just adversity, man. And like, that's the kind of shit that like you fucking, it makes you a better man, you know what I mean? To go through adversity, you know? And it's like, some people just dry up and blow away, like you know, one guy that played in Anodyne dried up and blew away. You know what I mean? And never, I, I know exactly. What never you mean. to be heard from again, you know. But like, uh, you know, or or not, or you just weave that into your lifetime, and and it becomes an experience that you had, and and you you fucking learn and improve from that, you know. Yeah, man, no doubt. Yeah, it's it's surprising somehow we didn't do an anodyne cable tour. Back I feel in like the we day. always kind of talked about doing something like that. I know we talked about, and maybe you remember the other half of this. I can't remember. I know we talked about doing a split seven yeah. inch, yeah. where anodyne was going to cover Mississippi Queen. Yes, yep. And I was going to sing it with with you guys, Dude. and then we were going to cover something, and you were going to sing it. You I were going to sing idea. it. The, Let's do it. Let's do it now at Tombs and your new band. Okay, that's cool. Because we're, 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 record, we're recording a bunch of shit, like some seven inches, like I was telling you earlier, just to kind of keep the ball rolling until we can get back out on the road and or even record another album, hopefully later this year. But we're going to do like a couple seven inches with some covers on them. And we got like, you know, Bathory, Motorhead, stuff like that. That's awesome. Maybe we'll do another one. We'll, maybe we'll do a split. You know, with your new thing. Yeah, dude. You of know, course. That'd be fucking awesome. Mississippi Queen. That'd be great. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we talked about doing that. I can't remember what the other song was that was going to be the cable song, but I remember you were like, let's do Mississippi Queen. Well, I'm, I'm hype on, on Mountain. I love Mountain. Oh, me too, dude. 
Me too. We could do a whole episode on fucking... That, dude, that would be a great one, man. Considering we just lost Leslie. Leslie West, man. You know? like, fucking, that's a huge loss, man. And we, uh, matter of fact, we're in Vintage Vinyl today where Leslie West played many times on that dude, stage. that is one of the sickest things ever is all the photographs they have, all the different bands that play there and different Crazy. guys that had like signings there, like D. Snyder and, you know... Right. So right. cool, man. Morbid Angel. I remember yeah. that was like a big thing down here because it was when Rutan was in the band. Okay. Morbid Angel was. Had oh, yeah. He's a Rutan. Jersey guy. Yeah. Eric grew up in Jersey. Ripping Corpse. Ripping Corpse. Yeah. Right. And, and when he, that was like a thing, like when they came to do a signing at Vintage Vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. We should do a, a, a Mountain Slash Leslie West uh There you go, man. Episode. You know, see, these are cool ideas that we, <laughs> yeah. we're inventing them on the spot. So yeah, you guys out there, if um, yeah, just let us know what you think. Uh, if you got any recommendations or suggestions that we're, we're, if we like it, that is, you know, right, we'll talk about it. If we don't like it, we just uh, won't do it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, uh, real quick too, I also want to say, man, it, it's cool to have uh, uh, Mateo on board. Yeah, man. For some of these episodes. Yep. Um, and Ralph. Yeah, that that's the other regular show is uh, Unholy Passion with me and Ralph. So. So the way it's going to break down is every month, Randy's going to do an episode, Ralph's going to do an episode, and then there's like two floater episodes that's going to have uh, you know interviews. Like I have Mateo from from Cavera is on. We we got him in in the like on deck. Uh, we got my good friend CC from uh, Zucchini Kill Bakery down in Austin. She's on deck. Um, she also rips guitar. Fucking road dog van driver she was in phobia fucking run shit down in austin with her vegan bakery and uh they have a mail order too man so if you guys want to order like vegan cakes and stuff head over to zucchinikill.com you know follow them on instagram all that shit man but you'll hear all about it when she comes on but yeah that's how it's gonna break down we're gonna have like two two regular shows and then two kind of like rando things like that you know yeah, man, I'm I'm psyched. I'm glad those guys are gonna be part of it too. Those two guys I have yet to meet face to face, but through us doing podcasting together, I met these guys through you. Yeah, man. You know, and uh, we we correspond and uh, great dudes. Um, trade music with those guys and stuff. So uh, stoked to have them along. Maybe we can meet face to face coming up fairly soon. What What are you? Let me ask you a question. Now. What What is your? How do you feel? Like once once this shit is over with. What do you think it's going to be like when people can finally do stuff again? Do you think it's going to be out of control or what? Well, I struggle with inherently being a negative person, you know? <laughs> uh, I have two ways I think of this. Like, I like, here's what I like to think. I like to think, you know, when it's deemed safe and, you know, a good portion of the country is vaccinated uh and it seems like we have this virus under control i like to think shows tours stuff like that are going to be out of hand i like to think people are going to be so geared up to want to go out and do shit that it's going to be better than it ever was but then the you know the other side of that is um how many of these venues are going to be left what what there's going to be a percentage of people that are still going to be afraid to go out. There's going to be a percentage of people that don't have the money to go out that have lost their jobs. Uh, I think it could be tough on bands like me and you playing. 
Well, yeah, well, that that for sure because no one's going to guarantee the kind of money that we were making before. But right. like the big, that, big, just, you know, big, even big, big tours are they're not going to like European bands are probably not going to be because uh, you know they have the biggest overhead and um, to come over here and play. Right. So the I think promoters at first are going to be very reluctant to give them the money they need to come over here. But I know, like, at least in our camp, we're thinking more just, like, doing regional shit right away where it doesn't matter if we lose money, you know, as much. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. You're not out in the middle of fucking Arkansas. Yeah, so, I mean, we're thinking, like, probably just as far west as, like, Chicago, you know. Right. Maybe as far south as, like, you know, Maryland or something like that. Like, I don't really want to go too far south, really, but, like... You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. So you know, man, I don't know. There's two. It depends. You know, I talk to different people about it, and it's those are kind of like the two, the two different opinions. I hope but it'll probably be somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah. But I, I know for me personally, I, I as soon as like I'm able to fucking really go out and shit's available, I'm I'm not going to make excuses for not going out anymore, man. Because I used to. I remember like when I was living in Brooklyn, it was like. I miss. I didn't. I saw a lot of shows for sure, but there were right. nights where like I could have went to see like sick bands play, and I and I lived right down the street from St. Vitus too, and it was like I just would stay home. I'm like, ah, you right. know, I'm just gonna watch Netflix or whatever, you know. Well, that is the you know there are a a handful of positives that that come from this experience, the pandemic experience, and you know something as simple as taking shit for granted. Uh, I'm, I'm totally guilty of that. Same here. Uh, taking just time, taking time for granted. All oh, this tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll go see them next time they come through. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, whatever, man. You can like attach it. There's so many things. Seeing your friends, like doing what we're doing right now. Yeah, Whoever would have thought it'd be a year between us sitting in the same room. I know, man. Exactly. Together. You know. Um, so it's kind of crazy, and you know, like there's other shit, man. Like. Uh, and I don't really talk about it too much, but I, I have a I'm gonna start my own business in a way, which uh-huh. is directly connected to touring as well. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like I was within months of making a pretty big financial investment and in, in starting this up. Uh and now I don't know if I'll ever be able to do it, if it'll ever be feasible, you know. Uh I mean, it's gonna come back. I I mean look, just historically, you know. Uh, a hundred years ago, there was the, the Spanish flu happened, right? Right. Same kind of thing. People died, no vaccine, no treatment, right? Right. Two years later, the Roaring Twenties happened, where people were just going fucking buck. You know what I mean? That's what I hope happens. But it's like, people right now can't keep it together, man. They want to go out and fucking party, you <sighs> know, and do shit, and get fucking laid, get their dick sucked, and all that stuff, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's just, it. it you can't keep it you can't restrain that urge in people, the social urge. No. And like, you know, we don't need to turn this into a big political conversation. I think we both know where each other stands on this, Yeah, but you know, this was politicized from the well, beginning. Yeah, and the minute you politicize something, forget it. You can't take common sense out of the fucking equation. And we're in a really bad spot because of that, you know? But um, you know, people are getting vaccinated and the numbers are coming down. So right, there's like logic there. You know, right. Which so is like, you can't really deny that. <laughs> well, right. Some people do anyway, though. <laughs> well, fuck them. You know, they're the ones who should fucking, you know, get get eliminated then. You know, I mean, yeah. they're the ones who like yeah. will end up fucking getting weeded out eventually. You know, I couldn't agree more. 
You know, yeah. Fuck those. I know that's like a little harsh, but that's hey, that's that's my harsh point of view. It's the process of weeding out. Yeah, it's my my Nietzschean <laughs> sort of uh, you know vibe on things sometimes. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm real excited about moving forward with this format and people involved, and uh, think it's going to be cool. Yeah. Man. Speaking of venues, we got Dave Castillo too. He's coming up. He's uh, one of the main men over at St. Vitus, which is like. Even if you don't live in New York or the tri-state area, I think I feel like people know about that place. Yeah, man. I think, uh, like you know, I say, I worry about a lot of these venues surviving, and I don't know the the financials of it. But a place like Vitus, to me, it's like a modern CBGBs. I think they they'll be able to get creative ways to weather the storm, whether it be through merch or or GoFundMe's or whatever. Right. That place is kind of legendary, so yeah. I think they'll still be there, hopefully. Uh, but, you know, questions like this would be great for Dave. No, be, totally. That's what I want to talk about. You know, like, he, he, you know, he'd probably have some great insight being so uh, entrenched in that world. You know, he'd probably, I don't know if he has the answers either. Probably not. But he probably has a better inside look at it, you know. But also, like, there's going to be a need for that kind of thing. Even if some venues don't make it, which is, like, a horrible thing. And it sucks that, like, that our government wasn't able to, like, support them as well, you know. But there's right. at some point there's going to be a need for that service, and new things will take their place eventually. You know? I wonder. I had this conversation with somebody too, uh, one of my fellow bandmates, and come to grief. Uh, I wonder if things are going to go uh, take the turn a lot, like back to like bands, you know, not just young bands, but like bands like my band and your band playing like uh, halls rented halls and basements and stuff like that like places that tombs normally probably wouldn't play the last you know 10 years or so eight years or so yeah, yeah uh, i wonder if like more of that kind of thing is going to happen because some of these venues in these certain cities just aren't going to be there you know yeah or you know just touring like in general like you know for a long time like i've been like man i don't want i don't even want to play in the middle of the country anymore like right maybe that maybe i won't maybe we'll just play the coasts you know yeah yeah you know, and it's like tours are only going to be like a couple weeks long instead of like a month or five weeks or whatever. Right. You know, at least until shit starts popping again, you know. Yeah, I, hopefully it'll come back. It just might take a while. I know, know that they're booking. They're, there are shows on the books right now that are happening in the spring with like reduced capacity. <laughs> so it's like oh. people are, are are planning on doing this this year. I have tickets to a uh, festival in Norway. Hole in the sky, is that it? Beyond the gates. Oh, okay. Uh you know, primarily black metal yeah. festival. It's insane lineup. Uh that's in August and it's not canceled yet, but I don't think I mean Hellfest is canceled. Yeah. Well, or rescheduled till next year. Yeah. Roadburn get rescheduled. Yeah. So I you know, I think the same thing is gonna happen. I mean, honestly, right now I don't feel comfortable on getting in a plane, flying to Norway and being at a festival with twenty thousand people, yeah. fifty thousand people, well, whatever. Um, so it's fine. I hope maybe it'll get rescheduled for 2022, you know, but uh, we've been getting, uh, stuff for late this year, like November. Yeah. That's what, so it's like, you were saying, you know, by then who knows? Yeah. I mean, according to our government, they think everyone should be eligible to get vaccinated by July, June or July, which once again, uh, the negative side of me comes out. I, I just see a lot of, a holes in that theory with the logistics of it, but I guess it can improve. You well, know? you only need to get 65 to 70% of the people vaccinated 
for to for herd immunity. True, and then you know, because of the divide in this country right now, you got probably yeah, a little. If you're you know one of those people out there, you know, but then you don't have to get vaccinated. But sixty-five to seventy percent of the people should. If right. you don't want to get vaccinated, that's on you. Right. Um, it's kind of unbelievable, but. <laughs> Dude, motherfuckers would believe anything, man. Like, I, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah. I mean, just look at this past fucking year, dude. I like mean, the QAnon shit. I mean, I don't know about you, but back in the '90s, I was like way into like conspiracy. Not, not like I believed them, but I loved reading about conspiracy theories. And hell, even up until like four or five years ago, I was like interested in that kind of shit, you right? Know? Like mind control and all that stuff, right? But that's exactly what the QAnon thing was. It's like, it's like. um you know, it's exactly what I read about in the '90s on all those in all those Feral House books. You know what I mean? Right, right. You know, it's right. a psyop. You know, right. That, that I, we all observed happen with all these QAnon types. Well, you know, I think we finally got to that point, uh, at least in the United States. I mean, we can't hold any other country accountable for this, right? Uh, where the dumbing down of society is finally here. And you're fucking seeing it with your own eyes where the dumb people almost outnumber the people with common sense. I don't know if it's that profound, but there's a lot of dumb motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're like (laughs) expanding into like other er areas. Somehow they're gaining traction with people. Like I I don't know if like the the dumb idiots are outnumbering the smart people. Well, what I'm saying is the gap's closing. Yeah, okay, I'll I'll buy that. And like, and while I say that, I'm also referring to, and I've been saying this shit for years. Uh, You may not agree, but like, just like uh, society is being dumbed down constantly, whether it's uh, TV shows, what's yeah. on fucking network television, the news, uh, music that's on the radio. Like, I feel like it's just been being dumbed down for years. It just gets dumber and dumber. And I'm in disbelief sometimes when I like see what's popular. So I'm so disconnected from that world, but like occasionally I'll like, you know, I get nieces and nephews and shit right. like, and I'll, I'll be like this, this is like the big movie now. I think this is like, and it's just, it's fucking horrifying, man. Like, uh, I guess it's just a matter of taste, but I just, I, I'm not uh, doing a great job. Uh, describing this i just feel like <laughs> i just feel like there's like this dumbing down that's been going on it's been going on for a long time now and i feel like most people do whether it's like they stare at fucking tiktok all day or or what i don't know but i, I see that work a lot people just walk around all day watching tiktok on their phone that's fucked up like completely oblivious to anything just going <laughs> Uh, staring at their fucking phone like and it's just like i don't know it's like some mike judge shit that's for sure man yeah it just they think of it like it exists to make people fucking dumber than they already are i don't know well anyway thanks everyone for listening and um if you guys came over from metal matters hell uh i know just from interacting with some of you online that you weren't aware of everything went black and uh most of last year, um, while well, I would say probably while I was doing Metal Matters, I wasn't really spending a lot of time on this, and uh, I was trying to figure out like what to actually do with with this particular outlet. So now we have a a, a, a goal, you know, we have a mission. So here we are, and um, yeah, welcome for the for anyone who's new, and um, and yeah, man, we're uh, we're looking forward to to really kicking this in the ass here in 2021. Yep.
So everyone be safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Busted flat and Baton Rouge, heading for the trains. Feeling nearly faded as my jeans. Bobby thumbed the diesel down just before it rained. Took us all the way to New Orleans. I took my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana and was blue and sad while Bobby sang the blues. With them windshield wipers slapping time and Bobby clapping hands, we finally sang up every song that driver knew. Freedom, just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing ain't worth nothing, but it's free. Feeling good was easy, Lord, when Bobby sang the blues. Feeling good was good enough for me. Good enough for me and Bobby McGee. From the coal mines of Kentucky to the California sun. Bobby shared the secrets of my soul Standing right beside me, Lord, through everything I'd done Every night she kept me from the cold Then somewhere near Selena's, Lord, I let her slip away Looking for the home I hope she'll find And i trade all my tomorrows for a single yesterday Holding Bobby's body next to mine Freedom just another word for nothing left to lose Nothing left is all she left for me Ah, but feeling good was easy, Lord Bobby sang the blues But if that was good enough for me Good enough for me and Bobby McGee La da 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 La da 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 La da da
putting the fucking bet in with your bookie? Is that what you're doing right now? No, I'm trying to see when this. Uh, <clears throat> actually, hang on one sec. I'm trying to see when this Engine Kid record came out. I know what record they were touring for. Angel Wings? No, it was the Bear Catching Fish. Came out in 93. All right, so I would say that that, that show was probably in, in 94, maybe. Yeah, it'll be a safe bet. Jeff's going to correct me anyway later. So. All right. Yeah. <laughs> He's can, he can do that. <clears throat> What's going on, everyone? This is episode one of Road to Ruin. And you might ask, what the hell is that? Well, if you have been listening to uh, Metal Matters podcast for the last uh, couple of years, you'll know that Randy... Uh, Fucking cat. Let me hit this again. 